0: Welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m., worship gathering at 9.30 a.m., or visit us online at upcconline.org. Please sit back and enjoy our teaching time now with lead pastor John Buckley. So I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes our weeks don't turn out the way that we had planned. That happens more and more often, it seems like. So uh, usually I start the process of uh, our series with Brian and Spencer lately, kind of quite a bit in the, in the uh, probably three, four months out, we try to do that. And we decided in between our First Samuel series and going into the, the book of uh, First John, that we would take a little break and go through some of the parables. So I thought, man, this is a great opportunity these ideas sound great way ahead of time. I said, I'm going to pick one of the parables that I've always really kind of struggled understanding. So as I get closer, I'm like, why did I do this? But it's going to be great. It's awesome. Boy, God's been teaching me some cool stuff. But I had all these more notes than normal as I'm working through this. And yesterday morning, I get my computer out, which is new, by the way, to uh, start to work on the rest of my sermon, and it just isn't working. So my, I don't know what's wrong with it, but my computer's down. So we have old school today, handwritten notes, so uh, the challenge will be, can I read my handwriting? So uh, we'll see how that goes with everything uh, on that. But uh, God knows, and I'm sure that God is going to use his word to impact us. So if you want to join me, we're going to be over in the book of Luke chapter 19. Uh, Luke chapter 19, if you want to turn there, that'd be great. And we're going to be uh, starting our parable series. I didn't grab the page number for the Bibles in front, I apologize. But uh, what we've decided to do is kind of a mini-journey through the month of August, and uh, what we've done is we have different guys that will be preaching on some of the parables of the Bible. Now, obviously, this is kind of a narrative still in that it tells a story like 1 Samuel did, but it's a different type, and it's different for a few reasons. Um, First of all, each of these stories or parables is told by Jesus. That's one thing that clarifies it differently from 1 Samuel. Uh, secondly, you're going to find that each story or parable has a deeper meaning to it, whereas First Samuel, the story was the story, and we could grab applications from it, but it didn't really change the, 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 the story itself. There's a deeper meaning to the parables. And then the last thing is each parable or story contains a challenge for us to walk away with, there's always an application that can be made to that. And by the way, if you do want the outline, if you have uh, the U version on the Bible, um, if you go to U version, bottom right hand corner, there's a spot to look for either more or it's got some lines there. Go to events and type in upper perk, and our whole outline is there for you as well if you'd like to follow along that way with things. So, first question we gotta ask ourselves is what is a parable? What is a parable? Now, there's very lengthy explanations to that. But uh, what we are going to be doing today is explaining it in a very simple way. And a a parable, as you see on the screen, is a principle wrapped up in a story. It's a principle that's wrapped up in a story. And there's 46 different parables that are in the Bible. And over this next month, like I said, we're going to only hit five of them, but there's 46. Some of them are mentioned in multiple uh, Gospels. This one we're going over today is only mentioned in Luke chapter 19. And I also want to make sure you understand, as we go over this parable of the minas, you're going to see some similarities to the parable of the talents, but this is not that message from Matthew chapter 25, so they're separate, but you can see that the stories are similar, so probably as Jesus taught different times, he applied some of the same applications there. So that brings us to ask another good question, which is, how do you unpack a parable? How do you take this story that's wrapped up um, in a, a challenge that's wrapped up in a story and really understand it? And so I thought today, there's lots of different ways we can do that, but what I thought we do today is I'm just going to have a series of questions on the screens that we're going to walk through to help you to understand the story here that we have taking place. So let me read the story, and then we're going to start to talk about what's going on with the story. So Luke chapter 19, if you're there, if not, if you could just listen as I read through this passage here, starting in verse 11. As they heard these things, who are they, they is the first question you're going to ask, so you've got to look up ahead, and Jesus had just got done with Zacchaeus, he was with his disciples and some other followers of him at this time. He proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return Calling ten of his servants, he gave him ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But the citizens, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he learned, having received the kingdom, he ordered those, these servants to, to be called to him that he might know what they, were, what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, "'Well done, good servant, because you've been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities.' And the second came, saying, "'Lord, your minas made five minas.' And he said to him, "'And you are to be over five cities.' Then another came, saying, "'Lord, here's your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you're a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow.' He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow. Then why then did you not put the money in the bank? And at my coming? I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take a mina from him, give to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he he has ten minas. I tell you, to everyone who has, more will be given but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. That is for the enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Wow. Lots of stuff here. So we need to find ourselves in this question, which is what's happening here? Now, context is everything, and we need to understand that. Um, I don't know about you, but um, I like still like to read Reader's Digest. Uh, i don 't have many of them anymore because I've kind of walked through them, but I pick them up at yard sales and things, and I always love the, the you know the joke parts of them and I read one story in there that I thought was applicable because again, everything needs to be understood in context, and I think it 's really important as we look at this. There was a woman who went to the butcher shop and she was very pregnant she was close to having her child, and she wanted to make one last meal. For family before she had her baby. So she goes up to the meat counter, and because she has this rather large belly in front of her, she's trying to pick out just the right roast. And as she's doing that, one of the butchers comes out and tries to offer helpfully, excuse me, ma'am, how may I help you? And she goes, oh, don't, don't worry, but I'm just trying to find the right roast for my family. He goes, okay, great. Walk back in the back, and she moves around, and just then, seemingly, seconds later, the man walks out again and says, uh, yes, ma'am, how may I help you? And she goes, um, I really don't need any help. I'm just trying to find a rose for my family. He goes, okay, well, if you need me, just call me. He walks to the back. She moves around. Finally, she sees one in the back. She kind of once goes to grab it, and this guy comes out again and goes, excuse me, ma'am, may I help you? And she goes, I, if I need your help, I'll tell you. He goes, well, actually, you're pushing on the button right below your belly there. Um, that's the, to come back out. So context is everything in situations. This woman was irritated by this butcher who was just trying to help because the button was being pushed. And as you look at the parables, it's important that we don't just read the story and make assumptions, but that we understand what the underlying things that are happening here. So the beginning is we need to go know this. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem for the last time. Over the next few chapters, you're going to find that it leads step by step from the point of Jesus' glorious entry, the triumphal entry, we call it, where people are praising him, dropping down these, these palm fronds in front of him, saying, you know, Jesus, you, you know, you're the one to the point where these same, some of these same people and others start to cruci- yell, crucify him. So he's entering into that, and he knows He knows, as it says in verse 11 again, read that one with me if you would. And as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. Why? Because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. See, they were making an assumption that Jesus was going to be the one that was going to go in and free them from Roman rule. If he's the Messiah, the only way they saw him as Messiah was a military overthrow where that he actually jesus would bring in this new reign and allow the jews to be back on top again and the roman oppressors to be wiped out and he wanted them to know going into it that's not the way it's going to work out which he had told them before but again before we're critical remember how many times we can be a tad bit thick-headed as well so jesus took another opportunity here as he goes and tries to explain to them exactly what's happening in the story. So the next person we're on a cross here and that we have to ask is who's the nobleman? Who's the nobleman? Verses 12 to 14 talks about the nobleman. And it says in verse 12 again, he said therefore a nobleman went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Now again, what would happen first of all And again, God, you'll understand always that that Jesus uses the terminology to speak to the crowd that he's with. At this point in time, Rome oversaw, excuse me, controlled Israel, Jerusalem being the capital of Israel. And so what happened is, Rome would decide who was going to be the one who was the king of the land, but he was subservient to the Roman rulers. But you also find that even when Saul and even David and there's other kings that when they were when they became coronated or, or, or put on the throne, they usually went to some city that was the hub of activity where the leadership there would, whether it's the, 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 um, the prophet in, in Saul's case and David's place or others, where they would actually then proclaim them to be the ruler or the king of that time. So it wasn't uncommon. And on top of it, for this situation, it was very relevant because... In about 40 B.C. is when Herod had done that same thing. And then he went back to further history because we see as we read on here into verse 13, it says this. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We don't want this man to reign over us. And and for them it was so uh, vivid in their minds because they had had a guy named Archis. Arceus, who in 4 BC had actually been sent to Rome because he was going to be the next ruler or king. He was one of Herod's sons. And the people were, we don't want this guy, and actually went to Rome with him to say, we don't want this guy as our ruler. They still established him a ruler, but he didn't last very long in the case. So Jesus is making these connections saying, you guys know about this stuff. You know how this happens. But the nobleman in the story is Jesus, The nobleman that's laying out this story is the very one that he's talking about. And he was saying to them, he was talking about the kingdom of God. He was trying to make sure that they understand that as the nobleman, the king, that this wasn't his earthly kingdom that he was going to. That he was going to have to go away. And again, remember, he had laid that out. I'm going to leave this earth and I'm going to go to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come back again. He had explained that to them, but he was saying again, you guys, this is not the last stop yet. And in fact, it's very relevant that many of them were going to rise up actually and say, we don't want this guy to be our king because we're looking for a military ruler. We don't want the spiritual side of things the way that we want the physical restraints removed. And they rejected him as Messiah because he didn't come to them on their terms. Jesus comes on his own terms and not on man's terms. And we can choose to accept, reject him based on that, but you can't make God into what fits your box. God is God. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to the earth for one purpose, uh, not the only purpose, but one express purpose was that we might have eternal life, to die a ghastly death on the cross for our sanctification, for our redemption. And if we choose to think in our mind, and in the world in which we live, we have a lot of people that are trying to think that they can make God the way they want God to be, what's comfortable for them. They want to have this designer God as if they can go into Build-A-Bear and have build a God and make God, oh, but I want this part of God, and I really don't want that part of God, and I'll kind of modify this part of God until I can get the God that I want. But that's not the God of the Bible. And we will always have problems with God And with Christ, if we think that we have, excuse me, if we think that we can't accept him for who he is and what he establishes, not who we want. And by the way, we don't even realize what we're looking for because he's everything that we need. So Jesus Christ is the nobleman. And what happened? We see, well, first, let's ask this question. What's a minor? We're talking about that, so what's a mina? A mina was a Greek measurement of money that was still used during Roman times, and it was a, basically it was worth three months' salary or a 100 days is how much this mina was. So this was a chunk of money that was given them to invest. It wasn't just pennies, it was a significant amount of money. So who are the servants? Verses number 15 to 23, we talk about that. We'll go back to verse number 14 as we lead into that. I'm sorry, we'll start in verse 15. When he returned, having received the kingdom he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. And the first came before him, saying, Lord, your mine has made ten mine is more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you've been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. So you see the first one, and by the way, ten servants were given the task, ten servants were, getting the equi- were given the equivalent of three months' salary, but we only hear about three of them. Why is that? More than likely, it was done for time's sake. It also hit the different categories of people that I believe Jesus wanted to make sure he laid out here. But the first two come, these servants, and then the third one comes, and they all have different responses. The servants, by the way, are people who embrace God. Now, they aren't necessarily children of God, but they're people who embrace God. They get an idea of who God is. They grab onto that, and they have different perspectives of that. Two of these servants, you're going to find, are truly children of God. One was somebody who believed in God, but wasn't truly a follower of Jesus Christ in the truest sense of the the situation. So what was their job? If you go back up to verse 13, you see it very clearly. Um, He says at the very last line of verse 13, engage in business until I come. So here's your job. You go and you take the money I've given you, and you go out and you do business with them. Now, you know, he didn't tell them that they had to multiply their money. That wasn't the, 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 what he said is he wanted to take what they had, and he wanted them to do something with it. Engage in business. Maybe one of the servants might have come back and said, hey, I I locked it all, but I tried. That's not in the situation, but that could have happened. But he just wanted them to go and engage in business. That was their responsibility that they had In uh, in order to please their master, well, how do you do it? Carrying it out, well, two did spectacular. Two multiplied. As a result, they weren't just given the money; they were also given one ten cities and one five cities to over uh, uh, um, have ownership of, to overview um, those, to take control, and to be able to lead those cities. Ten and five. By the way, that's a big responsibility to go from managing a few dollars, so to speak, to heading these cities up, it also shows the confidence of the nobleman and those that had done well during the period of time he was gone. Which, by the way, you'll notice in here, it never once tells us that time period that, that he was away, the nobleman, to receive his kingship. And what was the king's response to all this? Well, if you drop down to verse number 24... He says this, well, the first two, you, you know the first two, we read that out, but verse 24 is where he spends the majority of his time focusing on stuff. And it says in verse 24, he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him, that's the one who didn't, and give it to the one who has 10. And they said, the Lord, he has 10 minas, and I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given, but from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So two, invest, do well, are rewarded and are given greater. One has a whole dialogue that I want to break down with you to understand it. And the king's response to the individuals is based upon what they did. Again, not how much they had, but what they did. The first two were honored, but what about the third one? And it's interesting here what the third one's response is. The difference between the two that submitted to the master's rule and were truly followers and obedient to him and the third. The third did absolutely nothing. Now, he was a servant of the nobleman. At a minimum, he'd have been doing something, but all he did for the whole time that the nobleman was gone, but he wrapped up his coin in a handkerchief and put it in a drawer somewhere. He had a lot of free time now. He could do whatever he wanted to during that time. And what is the the, the, uh, nobleman's response to that? It says in verse 19, Um, Verse 20, excuse me. Then another came saying, Lord, here's your mind, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you're a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I'll condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow. Why then did you not put money in the bank and at my coming that I might have collected it with interest? So it's interesting here, and I thought it was kind of uh, i don't know that i would have tied it in if i hadn't been studying first samuel but this servant has the same response that saul had when he was confronted about not doing the right thing does the servant take responsibility for not doing what he was told to do what was his command given engage in business do something and he did nothing Rather than going, I didn't do anything but stuck it in the drawer, and you know, I I was kind of lazy, I should have done more, I should have at least put it in the bank or something, he did absolutely nothing with it. And then he starts to make accusations and accuses. Well, but you know, I I was afraid because you know, you got a reputation that you're this mean guy, and and, you know, you take things you don't want, you know, that aren't yours, and you reap harvest from, from things that you don't sow. And those were accusations that were made. And you notice the nobleman doesn't go after the accusations. But he uses the accusations to put the guilt on the servant. He goes, now wait a minute. You're saying this. Then if you really think I'm that harsh, then why don't you at least put it in the bank and get interest? Your own words, wicked servant. Your own words call out your guilt. Your own words call out your guilt. Then you see the very last part of that where it says, And I only gave away, but verse 27 is for the enemies of mine who didn't want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. And again, being the parable, this was for those that will ultimately reject Christ, that their eternity will be damnation and separation from God. So let's take this story now and let's ask ourselves what applications we can take away. The first thing I want you to understand as we talk about applications is that understanding the parable is the key to applying it. You have to understand it to apply it. Context again, woman pushing the, bu- the button on the buzzer for the meat counter, context, you got to understand the context of what's taking place. So the first question I want to ask you today is what is your response to Christ. See, now these two were obvious followers of God. The talents that were given to them were the talents that God gave to them and gives to each of us to serve him. And God expects us to take the talents that he's given to us, the minas, the responsibilities, and he expects us to go do something about it. He doesn't ever expect Christians to be given the gifts that they have and then put them in a drawer somewhere to make excuses. And here's some of the ones I hear. You know what, Pastor John, I would serve, but you don't know how much my job requires of me. Pastor John, I'd serve, but you know what? You don't understand the family that I live in. Pastor John, I'd serve, but you don't understand you know, what God's done to me. And we have all these reasons that we throw out there. And we don't use the talents. That's a problem. But these two, they took the talents God gave to them, the minas, the gifts and abilities, and they did something with them. And God rewarded them. Now, just so we're clear here, this is not the prosperity gospel passage. This is not the passage you cling on to and go, Lord, if I do this, you're going to give me more. Our treasure is in heaven. That's where we get for what we do on earth. And the purpose for our treasure in heaven is to do what? To then take it and give it back to God. In thanksgiving and praise for the life that He gave me and the salvation that I have. So this isn't about prosperity on earth. But it's about the abilities. So two were true followers of Jesus Christ. The other one was the infiltrator. He never really acknowledged this master as his master. He never served this master. He took from the master, and he did nothing with what was given to him. He was a part of the community, so to speak. He could be in this church and be a part of things. Think Judas. Judas was a part of things. Judas went with the disciples. Judas had spiritual dialogue. Judas got to see the the miracles that happened. He got to see the stuff, but Judas never embraced Jesus Christ as Savior. Lingo. He traveled the course, he hung with the people. But you'll also notice that Judas was always the most critical of the mission that Christ had. And I just want to warn you. If you're here today, it's not good enough to just come to church. It's not good enough to drop checks in the offering plate. It's not good enough to just serve a Sunday or two. It's not good enough just to show up. You can do that and not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. There are many that do. And that's why I ask the question to you is, what is your response to Christ? Have you ever come to a point in your life where you've understand that you're a sinner who needs a savior, and you've personally accepted God's gift of salvation, asking him to forgive you of your sins, that he might be your savior. That's becoming a redeemed child of God, accepting the gift that's been given to you. Don't just play the game, folks. If you don't know Christ, I implore you today, look at your life. This message is not intended to make someone doubt their salvation. This message is intended to have you evaluate your life and ask you the question if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The second thing that I want to ask you is how are you using what God has given to you? We all have what's been given to us. In this case, in the story, ten servants were given ten minas. They were all given something. And by the way, God gives us all gifts. And if you're a child of God, then you have the gift that's given that every child of God has, which is We have the story about how we came to know Christ. And so a lot of people know, if I were to ask everybody here, and I asked you to raise your hand and said, how many of you know that we're called to share the gospel? Everybody here that's a believer would raise your hand. But then if I were to ask this question, now, who have you shared the gospel with in the last week? Or month? Or year? Would your hand go up? And the devil has paralyzed the church in so many ways. When, folks, we all have our story that we can tell other people. Hey, let me tell you what Jesus has done in me. You don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to know all the flowery terms. But you can tell your story. Because if you're a child of God, that's a gift that God's given to you. You have the gift not only of salvation, but discipleship. And again, people say, well, Pastor John, I'm not very young, uh, old in my faith. How do I help somebody else? Just teach them what you've learned. I don't know that this is original with Don but I, Don Stubbs, but I love that he says this, which is, teach what you know and grow as you go. Teach what you know and grow as you go. You don't, God doesn't expect you to have a Bible college degree or read the Bible through one time or two or 20, Or there's some kind of certificate you get to go out and make disciples. You find somebody that you can help know Christ better and teach them what you know and then grow as you go. And you be discipled by somebody who's a little further down the path than you are. It's a gift that God's given to all of us. Folks, and the only way that really happens is in the Word to let God's Word change us and grow us. Otherwise, we are very anemic and we will not serve and use the gifts that God has given to us. And this is a question I always ask myself when I'm wrapping up Anytime I study for a message, which is this one. What will you do this week to live out, in this case, this parable's lessons? What will you do this week? When I get done with a message, I always say, okay, John, now what are you going to do about it? If I just come in here and we all get done and we think that was a good message, a bad message, a mediocre message... What really matters is we've heard the word of God. It's been laid up to us. We know that Jesus used parables to grip and grab people in through the story and to teach a principle to them. But those principles are still valid to us today. But they are meaningless if we choose to do nothing about it. If we choose to do nothing about it. So I encourage you what one thing will you do. Maybe you're not heard. Start getting in the world. Maybe you're not discipled. Start it. Start reaching out to somebody. Start praying about some folks you can tell your story to. If you're not a child of God, then I encourage you today to make today your spiritual birthday. The Spirit of God is in each of you that's a Christian, and I guarantee you, if you'll quiet yourself, He's prompting you to do something with what you've heard. The question is, what is that something for you that he wants you to grab onto today? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Father, for this parable. And Lord, for the series that we're going to go into. And I pray that we'll glean much from it, Lord, and that it will drive us to even explore your word even deeper, Father. I pray, Lord, that again today, if there's someone that doesn't know you as Savior, that today they would come and ask you to come into their hearts and to wash away their sins and to be yours for them to become your children today, God. I pray, Lord, for Christians that are here. I pray, Father, that we would get motivated, Father, about the gifts that have been given to us, Lord, and be that well-done, good and faithful servant as we hear even in Matthew 25. I pray, God, that you would help us all to think of one way that we can take what we've heard and apply it to our lives. In your precious name, amen.